Welcome to Church Online. I am so excited that you have joined us this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. I pray that our worship will be exciting and uplifting. I pray that the ministry of the Word will work in your heart and that the Lord will do something special. Thank you again for joining us and enjoy the service. let's jump in. I'm really excited about this message. Um, I'm excited about this series. So just to give you a little overview, uh, for the next four weeks, we're doing a topical series before we jump into another book of the Bible. Um, And really, this comes from the elders really having a discussion about where we are as a church and what the Lord is doing, um, maybe what he's not doing as well. And uh, just where where is he headed? What, What should be our next step? And uh, so we, we came up with uh, this thing of church life. Um, this is a four-week study. It's not exhaustive, uh, but it's, it's really a reset button for us. And maybe you'll hear some things that uh, you didn't know. Um, I, Simon Sinek, uh, who, who's heard of Simon Sinek? Anybody? Three. Okay. All right. We're doing good. That's okay. He's not a pastor. There's another one for, uh, but um, yeah. How many like to read? How many like to read books? Anybody? Okay. The same people. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's do less TV and Netflix this week and more Kindle. All right. Are we down with that? More Kindle, more books, more reading, uh, and, and not uh, lull ourselves away from learning. Um, anyway. Yeah. Simon Sinek. He's got a good book out. Start with why. And his thing is, is like, hey, uh, if you hire someone to work for your company who doesn't believe in your mission, they'll work for a salary. You know, they'll work, they'll clock in and clock out. But if you hire someone who believes what you believe and, and who believes in your mission, then they'll work with blood, sweat, and tears. And, and he's right. He's absolutely right. If we don't start with the why, if we don't start with our mission, uh, people are clocking in and clocking out and they're playing church, right? But they're not like living the church, eat, drink, sleep, breathe the church and what the church's mission is. So really, if you, if you think about this, this is really a, uh, a, a tone setter. This is a, 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 an opportunity for us to take a step back and look at the why, why we gather, why we're here, um, and, and really recenter ourselves as, as a church, as a collective here of saints and why we do it the way we do it. So uh, four weeks in this series um, and all identical messages at 9 and 11, but what we're doing is today is the family, the church family, uh, the purpose of the church family. And then next week is relationships, church relationships in and out of the church. Then we're going to talk about church life balance, how to bridge the gap and how to balance those relationships um, and and how to balance our our time and our efforts and our energies uh, as we are contributing to the church. And then how uh, our church life and our career, that's week four, how they coincide. Um, I think that statistically, usually about 10% of the church supports uh, the church. Uh, you know, it supports the other 90%. Our church is probably maybe around 80% or uh, maybe about 20% support the 80, so it's not as bad uh, as it normally is, I would say, but we can do better. Can you imagine if, um, say, 80% of the church was on board uh, and 80% 
of, of our members were tied in and they didn't see a separation from their career life and their church life and their family life. And the Lord was able to utilize all of what we are doing for the sake of his kingdom. Uh, would we do more or less as a church? Would we reach more people or less people? We would reach more. Uh, the Lord doesn't want us to have two lives. He's not interested in duplicity. He, he's not interested in us living here and then coming over here and playing church for you know an hour and a half or whatever, a couple hours a week if you go to small groups as well. He wants this to be one unit. He wants unity. And, and remember, we just finished up Romans, right? He's calling people from different aspects, different walks of life, Torah-abiding Jews and non-Torah-abiding Gentiles. He's even calling them to unity, right? Uh, the Lord has a purpose. He has a plan, and he wants to establish that. Kids in the back, hey, 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 all right, pay attention. Uh, but uh, he wants to accomplish something. He wants to work his plan, uh, and, and so... Our goal with church life is that we uh, can bridge the gap here. We can expand your understanding to where what you do at church and home, uh, what you, how you raise your children and how you have your relationships, how the Lord can blend them all together in a symphony. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand the goal, the purpose here? Uh, so these are the four areas that we're going to focus on. The fourth week, when it pertains to career and finances and how all of that fits into church life, we have a special speaker that we've got uh, who is flying in, and he'll be here with us on that day, uh, and he's an expert in the area, and then he'll actually be here on Monday uh, to meet with any of you who would like to meet with him. Um, listen, holistically, if we can help you be better in your finances, will the church be better for it, yes or no? We have to start seeing these things together. Um, look, if, if I pray for the success of my brother or sister in the church in their business, and I want and, 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 and I uh, um, intercede for them on their behalf for their business and for their success, uh, that's a really Christ-like thing to do. Why? Because as they are more successful, what happens to the church? The church is blessed because of it. If, if... We are aligned and we treat our finances and our career and our church life as one life. This is the goal. This is the mindset, right? But instead, what does the world do? Competition. Look what they have and look what I don't have. That kills it. Do you, understand, do you see the difference of how we can be for each other and helping one another and praying and, and training? And you understand what I'm saying? Like, this is the goal. This is the mindset. So anyway, we and, and the elders and I, all of us, like, we want to level up, not just numerically, but level up by going deeper. We're going to grow a taller tree if our roots uh, continue to go deeper. Um, and so this could be a pivotal series for you. This could increase your understanding and your learning of how the Lord operates. And that's my goal. That's, uh, that, that is what we would love to see happen from this series. Also, it is on Facebook. We have a little bumper, a little advertisement uh, for the series. Find it on our, on our social media and send it to a friend. Uh, look, especially with like church life balance, right? That's applicable for everybody. 
family, relationships, finances. These are very relatable topics, and so it's going to be a, a really good uh, series for you to invite someone to come and visit. So maybe share it in a private message uh, or post it to your Facebook and invite. Do it right now if you're watching online. Uh, whatever, whatever you can do, whoever you can invite, I know the Lord's going to use it. All right, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 17 through 20, and the verses will be on the screen. Uh, Here's what this is going to be here in the beginning. This is just the foundation. We have to lay a foundation for the purpose of our church family. How many know the the church is supposed to be a family? Has anybody heard that? Three of you? Amen. How many's heard that the church is supposed to be a family? Come on. How many are still asleep right now? Anybody? How many wanted to stay in bed when they saw the weather? Anybody? I know I did. Here I am, though. Mm. Who's cold? Anybody cold? There's only three of you. I'm sorry, ladies. I'm so sorry. Yeah, come on up here. The light's shining. It's really hot up here. Uh, we need Bethlehem blankets in the back. Whoever, whoever decides to make them... You'll benefit financially, I'm sure. They'll pay to rent them every week. Bethlehem blankets. <laughs> but it should be good. Matthew chapter 16, verse... I don't hear the air on right now. Let's kill the fans. Can we kill the fans, please? Uh, that'll help. Jen's on it, Charles. Thank you. Um, yeah, the poor ladies up here just shivering to death. Shivering to death. Hmm. Matthew 16, verse 17 through 20. How many could use a little bit more as it pertains to like the why we do what we do as a church? How many could use a little bit more training on how we got here? Anybody? That interests you. How many that interests you? Okay, it takes a while. And then we're getting more hands each time I ask the question. All right, that's good. Uh, Hopefully it's helpful. Matthew chapter 16, verse 17 through 20. And I also want to say this. This is not exhaustive. This is just a... It's one message, right? We could go on for weeks, yay, months, as it pertains to this topic alone. Scripture after scripture after scripture. Uh, but uh, we're not. We're, we're spending one week, one sermon on this thing, the church family. And, and so uh, it's not an exhaustive list. But uh, these are verses for you to write down. They're in the program. Underline them. If you use a, an electronic Bible on your phone, highlight them. Um, take a picture, however you want to do it, um, but this is, uh, th- this is going to be impactful for you. So let's pay attention, let's sit up, let's limit distractions, and let's jump in here together. Matthew 16, verse 17 through 20, Jesus responded. Do you know that's Jesus' words? Isn't that crazy that we have an opportunity to read Jesus' words? It- it's-, it's just like taking the Bible for granted, right? Taking the fact that we, ha- like, do you hear what I said? Jesus responded. Like, these are the Lord Jesus Christ's words. And that's how we get there. We take for granted what we have in the church. Why? We take scripture for granted. Thinking that that this is literally how he set it up. Anyway, let's read here. Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatsoever or whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the who? The Messiah. Now, 
let's hit this from a couple different perspectives. How many know our church is a little different than a Catholic church? Does anybody know? How many have been to a Catholic church? Okay, so those of you that have been know that we're a little different. And I'm not throwing shade, right? Uh, we're a little different than some other Protestant denominations, you know? I, I mean, there was a time in my life, many of you know, if you've been worshiping here for some time, I used to be in a church that you had to dress up to come to and wear a suit and tie, and I clearly don't do that anymore. So there's been a shift in my mindset, right? Churches are and, and take on the shape typically of their leaders, right? Uh, and, and their congregations, uh, the, the leaders or the elders or the deacon board or whatever that church leadership looks like, typically set the tone, right? Uh, and that happens too with theology as well. So some people's church life might look a little different than other people's church life. You understand what I'm saying? So in this regard, I take this passage of Scripture, and it is a pivotal passage of Scripture for many churches. So if you're from the Catholic faith, they interpret that passage of Scripture as Jesus saying, Peter, upon this rock, as if Jesus is pointing at Peter. The word Peter, his, his name literally means pebble or small stone. So they take that meaning and they say, well, because it's pebble, small stone, what Jesus was saying upon this rock, upon this pebble, Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And they have St. Peter on a pedestal, right, uh, in such a way because of this passage of scripture and that's how they interpret it. Upon Peter, upon that rock, I will build my church. That's how the Catholics perceive that verse. Evangelical Protestant churches, the way they would interpret that verse, which we would fall into that category, but I've kind of since changed my position on it. Uh, the way a typical interpretation of that verse, it would be Jesus saying this, hey, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. They think that Jesus is telling Peter that he's going to build the church on who? On himself, Right. Uh, and that's literally the difference in how we have two different denominations, so to speak. Upon that rock or upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Two different perspectives. One is a traditional Catholic view. The other is a traditional Protestant view. But I think there's a third view uh, recently that I've come to, to read and see. And I enjoy Michael Heiser. And, and if you listen to my messages, his stuff's all uh, sprinkled through, throughout it. Thank you, Cody, for uh, in, introducing. Okay, sorry. Uh, people were laughing. I'm like, is there something on the screen? Uh, anyway, was there something there? Okay, all right. Stinker, that was quick. Or is it you back there? I knew it. Uh, I'm going to have a cookie real quick. I just can't wait till the end of the service. No, I'm going to, I really want one. I got to hurry this thing up, okay, to get to my illustration. But anyway, uh, Peter upon this rock pebble or Jesus upon this rock. Jesus, the scriptures say he's the chief corner what? Stone the foundation that no other man can lay. I think there's a, there's a good case for either one, right? Um, I think that the, the traditional Protestant view is better than the Catholic view. Uh, but here's another one, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I believe that he's talking about a geographical location, as I understand it. Uh, in the ancient Near East, there's two mountaintops. There's Mount Sinai, and then there's Mount Hermon. There's this region of Bashan where the forces of darkness, some would call the watchers, maybe uh, for your context, it would be easier for me to say Satan and the fallen angels. Does that make sense? 
the forces of evil. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about when I say that? The forces of evil, the ancient Near East had this view. They had this perspective that just like God, Yahweh, descended on Sinai as he gave Moses the 10 what? Come on now, as he gave Moses the 10 what? Commandments. In the region of Bashan, Mount Hermon, uh, that's where the watchers or the satanic forces descended on that mountain. They were believed, uh, that place, that geographical location was believed to be the place what, that, uh, that was the gate to hell. That was the place where you would enter into the other realm or go down into Hades, if you will. And so uh, you have two perspectives from the ancient Near East, Mount Sinai uh, and Mount Hermon in the region of Bashan. So what Heiser is saying is that Jesus literally goes to the place that the ancient Near East would have been like, it's like almost Halloween, right? It's the spooky place. It's the place where the watchers descended. It's the place that represented the forces of darkness. And what he believes is geographically, Jesus went to that place, the region of Bashan, and said, upon this rock, upon this place of earth, Mount Hermon, I will build my church and the gates of hell, geographical location, Mount Herman will not prevail against the church. In other words, Jesus took the fight to the front doorstep of the demonic forces and declared war. Now, it says here in this portion of scripture, it says, he then told his disciples, don't tell anyone that I'm the what? The Messiah. Do you think if they knew who he was and actually believed it, that they would have crucified him and sealed their own fate? I don't think so. They killed Jesus and he shed his blood and his blood through the perfect sacrifice bought back us, twofold children of wrath, owned by the demonic forces because of our sin debt in Jesus. They shed his perfect blood, which was pure enough, which was the price paid without the shedding of blood. There is no what? Remission for sin. So Jesus goes to the front door of the enemy, bangs on their door and says, guess what? I'm going to build a church and you, you think you're going to win all of this? Satan took Jesus into the high mountain and said, if you fall down and worship me, I'll give all this to you. And he said, get thee behind me, Satan. Why? Because Jesus had a purpose. He had a plan. Excuse me. <coughs> Woo! I'm struggling with a little cold here. He had a purpose. Oh, it's coming back. Hold on. I really want to make this point with energy. <laughs> Might need a cough drop. <clears throat> he says, look, I I'm going to take the battle. I'm going to take the fight right to their front door. And I'm going to say this. Guess what? You ain't going to do nothing about what I'm about to do. And so then the forces of darkness said, if he wants a fight, then a fight is what, what he's going to get. One week later, they crucified him. You, you think that the Sanhedrin, the high priests, they thought they were protecting their livelihood and that this crazy guy was coming for their jobs. You don't think the forces of darkness had something to do with Jesus being crucified? He took the war right to their front door. And Jesus said, guess what? I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Here, here's the first point. Jesus is the one who laid the foundation for the church and commanded us to operate within that body. Do you see that? Do you see it there? 
regardless of whether you're a Catholic and it was on Peter or if you're a Protestant and it was on Jesus or if you're a Heiser and you're like, I don't believe any of that stuff. I believe he was talking about a geographical location. Regardless, Jesus said, here's how we're going to win the world and it's going to be the what? Oh, wow, I got one person on board. Thank you. I'm so glad. We are making progress this morning. Was that you, Miss Jen? Thank you. Was that Man, we're making progress. It's the what? Great. What? Great. Wonderful. We're doing so good. Amen. But we're having fun. <coughs> that was Wednesday nights. Thank you. Yes. God bless. Amen. Great throw. Great throw. I was hoping somebody would. My God. Thank you for the help. Jesus is the one who laid the foundation for the church and commanded us to operate within it. Oh, man, this is good. The second thing, 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 4, it says this, I wish you would put up with a little foolishness from me. This is the Apostle Paul. Yes, do put up with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, because I have promised you in a marriage to one husband to present a pure virgin to Christ. But I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds may be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if a person comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we did not preach, or you receive a different spirit, which which ye had not received, or a different gospel, which ye had not accepted, you put up with it splendidly. Paul says this, don't miss this, I am jealous for you with a godly what? (laughs) Thank y'all for coming today and participating. (laughs) I think it was Cody's fault because he wasn't there. There it is. (laughs) For I am jealous for you with a godly what? Hey, hey, welcome to the service, amen. (laughs) Number two. Paul gave his life to perpetuate Jesus' mission. A couple things I want you to see in this text here. He says, godly jealousy, but then he also says what? Because I have promised you in a, to one, to present a pure virgin to who? You ever heard the term, the bride of Christ? Consider that, right? Here, here, man. We put more emphasis on marriage than we do the church. But Jesus gave us marriage to picture the church. Do you understand what I'm saying? We put the cart before the horse. We get the thing backward. And that's why, once again, why marriage doesn't mean much to us anymore. Why union doesn't mean anything. We've missed the purpose. We've missed the bigger picture. But here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I I want you to understand something. I am jealous In other words, like, literally, I'm afraid, like, when Eve was in the garden and the serpent beguiled, tricked her, that's going to happen to you guys as a church. You're going to literally sit there and listen to somebody else talk about how their gospel is the gospel, and you're going to believe it. Paul's like, what's wrong with you? Jesus founded in Matthew chapter 16, he promised to build his church. So don't you think the enemy is going to try to build his? Don't you think there's going to be another one? And Paul's like, look, I have spent my entire life perpetuating that message. Come on now. He said this. I mean, many, many scholars believe Paul 
was engaged. And then when the Lord turned his life around, he decided, I'm going to have to be single to do what the Lord is calling me to do. He gave his entire life for the church, for the gospel, for the perpetuating of gatherings to happen in Jesus' name. Why would he do that? Because he believed in it wholeheartedly to his core. Now, we see here analogies of the family being used for the church. In this passage of scripture, we are the bride of what? Of Christ. In other words, what Jesus was laying down his life for, we later would hear scriptures from the Apostle Paul like saying, hey, uh, husbands love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and what? Gave himself for it. Here's another passage, Romans 12, 10. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Look, we have family analogies. Bride of Christ, love as brothers and sisters. This is the church, what? family. This is it. We are a family. This is what uh, the Lord Jesus Christ instituted. This is what he put into play, set into motion. I've got this thing that I know we're going to birth this thing called the church. And man, look where we are 2,000 years later. It's happening. We see analogies of the family being used. We see a price also that was paid for the church. Look at Acts 20, verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, uh, for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as an overseer. In other words, your local flock that you as a leader are are overseeing vicariously through the Holy Spirit. Why? To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own what? With his own blood. You know, we take communion as often as, right, as Paul commanded. And and that communion is a picture of the death, burial, and what? Resurrection of Jesus Christ. And communion is focused specifically on on his death. Without the, the shedding of what? Of blood, there is no remission for sin. And so we we see here. Not only the family analogies within the church, but we see the price that has been paid for the church. Does everybody see it? Jesus paid the price for us. He bought us with a price. And and here's what I'm trying to show you. These scriptures specifically aren't just showing what he did for you, but what he did for the collective. Are you seeing that? Here's what we have today. and maybe this is a, a decent enough time, and we're going to revisit this concept a little later, but ever, we have the degradation of the church collective, right? Everybody says, well, I'm the church. Well, I can worship wherever. I can pray wherever. I can do whatever I want, wherever I want. Sounds like another gospel. I mean, has anybody ever experienced someone who's been burned by church, right? And they don't want to go back to church, and so they just say, well, it doesn't really matter. I can have church anywhere. Anybody ever heard that? I mean, I've been there before. Maybe many of you have been there. But my point in showing you the text is to see that the Lord put a premium on the local church. Do you see it? Am I the only one that sees it? Do you all see it? Okay, good. All right. What a blessing, three of you. Amen. (laughs) You see it. He put a premium on the local church. 
And it wasn't everything that you can find in scripture that is for the believer and for you personally, watch this, is also for us collectively. Yes, the Lord died and, and paid a price for you and he wants to save you and he died for the world and every person, he's not willing that any person should perish but that all should come to repentance. But his idea of deliverance, his idea of salvation and how this thing was gonna play out was the collective gathering of the saints. And that was the church. This is his plan. We didn't just wake up one day it just blows my mind that it's the six-year anniversary of our church today. It's pretty cool. But we just didn't wake up one day and we're like, yeah, let's just start a gathering. This is how we do it. And we're going to have chairs or pews and, and um, worship and a sermon and an order of service. Like it's, it's not just something that we wanted to do. We felt called to do it. Like, we tried to get away from it. <laughs> we're like, nah, I think we're done with organized religion. <laughs> We've been burnt pretty bad. And we're like, this is just not, this is no good. A year goes by. I'm still thinking about it. Two years goes by. Two and a half years goes by. And I'm like, we got to do this thing. We got to start it. The Lord birthed that thing in our hearts. It's, it's a gathering that has to happen, a collection of the saints. It's bigger than any one of us, but it takes all of us. It's the church. Why do we have, what's church life? Hey, week number one, it's a family. It's a family relationship. That's what this thing is. Here's another thing that I want to point out. I think this is so cool. Revelation 1, 17 through 20, it says this. This is John, right? Uh, as he's writing, as he's been exiled on the island of Patmos, the book of Revelation, he says this, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me. He said, Don't be afraid. I am the first, the last, the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and Hades. Therefore, write what you have seen, what is and what will take place after this. Don't miss this next part. The mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. I literally see a picture here where the Lord is addressing individual churches in the book of Revelation. And what he's saying is, is I have assigned you an angel for your protection, for your oversight. Literally, like, and this is consistent with, uh, am I gonna, is Deuteronomy 32? Am I gonna get an amen on the screen again? This is consistent with a Deuteronomy 32 worldview. When, when, the, when Yahweh, <laughs> gotta watch it. <laughs> I got the wrong person in the booth back there this morning. <laughs> But when Yahweh chose Israel as his portion, he disinherited the other nations, right, to serve the gods of this world. And then at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit falls, there are 70 nations represented there at Pentecost when Peter preaches, and they all hear what? In their own tongue. Just like Tower of Babel, how they were disinherited, and he uses languages to separate them at Pentecost when the church is founded, everybody hears in their own native tongue 
what is the Lord doing? He's reinstating the nations. He's saying, now it's not just Israel is my portion. Because of the price Jesus has paid, we are now going for every nation. We're reinst- we, we are reinstating the world. We are buying back from the forces of evil with Jesus' blood every tribe and every tongue. And so, like the Lord would turn them over to the gods of this world, we see as the Lord starts his church, he uses his angelic forces as protection, as his own eyes and ears there at the church. I mean, look, the angel of the church at Sardis. I mean, how much plainer can you get? So here's my thought on that. I think that God has angelic hosts guarding our church. Why wouldn't he? If the demonic forces of this world, remember what Paul said, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Why wouldn't the Lord put his angelic forces standing guard for his church? If he paid, come on now, if he paid the highest price, which is his only begotten son, if Jesus shed his blood to buy a ransom for the church, why would he not protect his investment? But here's my thing. I'm building all, this is all just foundational in our first week here. I'm trying to show you that the Lord cares about the church and the gathering of the local church. Do you see that? I'm trying to show you that the Lord sees it as a family. More than that, he sees us as the bride of Christ. In other words, as something vulnerable that he is protecting, that he has paid for, that he has prepared the way. And therefore, it's important that we gather, that we stay together, that we look at this thing from a different perspective, a different lens. And God has gone before us and he has chosen this means and this medium for us to bring his kingdom about to the entire world. That's the church. But here's what we do. We're like, don't a church. I ain't going back. Nobody said anything to me. I walked in. I got my coffee. I made it all the way to my seat. Nobody said hi. Listen to me. Look, I love every one of you, and I want all of you to feel welcome. I'm just, bear with my illustrations, my crude illustrations. Somebody says something that we don't agree with. Somebody we don't like. Somebody from a different social class. You know the whole reason why Paul had to write the books that he did. We forget the price that was paid. We forget the fact that the Lord has angelic forces here protecting us, and we can't even get here in person. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, like, we saw that a church, on, a church this week is meeting for the first time in three years since the pandemic. And I'm like, okay. At what point do we not think it's a priority to gather and meet together? I mean, I think we were out here for, what, like three months or something, and we were, like, going back. You know, I couldn't take it. I'm like, we got to get together. Like, there's something magical that happens when people of God get together, and they sing about God, and they let God talk to them. It's, It's like healing happens here. Encouragement happens here. Direction happens here. But I'm look, if you're watching online, I love you, and I'm glad you're watching online, but you got to get in the room. 
at some point, like, we have to get over our pettiness when we realize the purpose. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, all right. We die, we stand before, maybe the Lord has Gabriel checking people in to heaven, okay? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. A little Matt theology here. It's got Gabriel standing there. Oh, hi, hi, Pastor Matt, how are you? Um, so how'd it go? It was great. We had COVID, so we shut the church down and never went back in person. Didn't you hear the scripture where he said, not life nor death, sickness, disease, nor nothing's going to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? You know, the Christians in China were being murdered and they were still trying to gather together. What's the problem? I don't know. We are in America and we're spoiled and lazy and we like to do whatever we want to do. Oh, great, come on in. You're from America. <laughs> At some point, you're going to give an account for what you did. on. The... At some point, you're going to stand before the Lord, and it's not Gabriel. And he's going to look at you, and he's going to say, what did you do to impact my church, my bride, my plan to save the world? My son, Jesus, gave his blood, his life. People like Paul paved the way, gave their entire lives. What did... Did you talk to your neighbor about it? I mean, I just don't really like him. <laughs> He's not a good guy. Really? What about your coworker? There's like a policy about sharing your faith at work, and I just didn't think it was appropriate. Oh, okay. Better yet, why haven't you been to church? Why haven't you been to the gathering in six months? I just haven't felt well. Oh, okay, great, wonderful. It's quiet, isn't it? I'm here to warn you, like, because Paul said, as overseers, <laughs> reality's gonna hit someday. Someday what you see will be met with what is unseen. And my hope and prayer is that each of you are just as ready for the unseen as you are for the seen. You all went shopping for food this week and filled your refrigerators prayerfully and are able to cook dinner and feed your families and go to work and care for each other and make sure that you, you have medical insurance. And hopefully, prayerfully, you have taken care of uh, all of the things that are necessary for this life, but have you given thought to the next? Have you given thought that the Lord paid an exorbitant amount for this church and this gathering, and he's wanting to see if you understand that. He's wanting to see a reciprocal nature in your sanctification as care or concern or love for someone else. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is church life. Church life is not worried about picking everybody else apart that doesn't believe the way you believe. Church life is not about looking at everyone else who is different than you and pointing out those differences. It's about loving someone who is different. It's about showing a love that is beyond this world to someone who is lost and dying in this world. The word family is a group of one or more parents and their children living together as a unit Church life, church family, 
carries this word and this connotation of unity. And in that word unity, we, we, we find Peter and Paul used it. Peter said this in 1 Peter 3.8. I know it's real heavy, isn't it? This is heavy. Week one of Pastor's new series. This is great. We're going to feel wonderful about ourselves. I'm so glad I could help. <laughs> 1 Peter 3.8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart, a humble mind. Look what Paul says in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Don't miss, Peter said, unity of mind. Paul says this, Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of your calling you have received, with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. That sounds like a good church, doesn't it? Unity, brotherly love. (laughs) The church in 2022 in America. Did you see what she had on at church? Does she not know? (laughs) It's fall. Look, I've taken so much criticism lately on the fact that I was still wearing summer shirts during fall. Notice I'm wearing a black t-shirt today, just so all of you know, and a Carhartt vest and boots and boots. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm ready for what? I'm ready for fall and winter. I was taking abuse, (laughs) taking abuse for my summer shirts that I needed to put away. I'm just teasing. I don't care. (laughs) But my point is, is it becomes so trivial, does it? doesn't it? My wife and I, we, we think about all of the folks who have come and gone through the years. And occasionally we just sit around and sip our bourbon. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's that heavy. Church work's tough, man. It's tough. Why? Because people are tough sometimes. People are ridiculous, aren't we? I'm talking about myself too. You know, we're ridiculous. But my goal is to, to just try to pierce through that a little bit today and get us all to say, let's not be petty. Let's just love people. Let's, let's see if the Lord gives us unity. When that word that you want to speak that you know is divisive, that you know is no good, that you know is not nice, just like, watch, watch. Just don't say it. But I wanna. It's important. People need to know how I feel. Okay, all right. Go get a mirror or something if you need that. Go get a mirror, go in a closet and tell yourself, right? Just kidding. Pray about it. Tell the Lord. Just kidding. The Lord doesn't even want to hear it. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Yo, Petty! (laughs) Look, (laughs) the Lord wants to use his church. And I'm just here as as one of the pastors here (laughs) just to say, hey, the Lord's got a plan. And the plan doesn't involve your selfish behavior. It involves unity. It doesn't involve your unnecessary preferences. It doesn't involve you portraying how you think everything should be on everybody else around you. It actually involves us celebrating people being different. It actually involves, listen to me, listen. Remember the book of the Bible, Romans, that we just walked through. When a lost and dying world sees people in a church getting along that are different, that doesn't happen anywhere else on the planet. You follow me? When the, Lord, when, when, when the world sees you loving people that you don't like, touchdown. Touchdown. Like, like yes, that's, that's a win. That's a huge win, and it's a win that can only happen. Watch this. In community. 
the church, the ecclesia, the called out assembly of the saints. Okay, I got five minutes. Can you listen fast? Here's the actual message. All of that was introduction, every bit of it. Unity. There's another passage of scripture in there that I want you to read later on. It's in the program. I think it'll be helpful for you. I wrote this down too. You know, around the world, more than 360 million Christians live in places where they are experiencing high levels of persecution. One in every seven Christians are being persecuted for their faith today. Today. I put a website in there that tracks the persecuted church online. Go, go in the program and click it and follow it. Listen to me. One in seven Christians are being persecuted, killed, hunted for their faith because they're in Islamic oppressive states. There's uh, communist regimes like North Korea. You know that the gospel is spreading in North Korea? You know it's spreading in Communist Party China? Do you understand that? And if they're caught, they're locked up, they're jailed, they're beaten. In America, the problem is, is we say, if we don't experience revival, God's going to persecute us. But the persecuted church goes, it's the best thing that's ever happened. We get to be killed for our faith. And do you think they share their faith less? No. They're sharing it, guess what? More. Fancy that. We do. And the ease of use for the American church has, has literally, it's made us ineffective for the sake of the gospel. But here's what I'm telling you. I'm doing what I'm doing because I believe in the church. As your pastor, online, in person, listen to me. Come on now. The, it's, the future is not bleak. It is bright. I believe that each and every one of you can can share their faith. I believe that each and every one of you in our abundant society can live a life full of grace for the church of God. And all of you have a place that you can serve. All of you have a place that you can give from. And the Lord will use this church community to reach others for the sake of the gospel. We don't have to be a spoiled, complacent, selfish congregation. Do you understand what I'm saying? We don't have to be that. Just because we don't have persecution doesn't mean that our faith isn't real or that we can't be effective. I'm just trying to remind you that our reality is not everyone's reality. And they're just as much the church as we are. I want to end with an illustration here. On the website, I could have picked 10 different things, right? I could have picked 10 different things to illustrate what a church should do. I picked three. Our mission statement on our website is this. Does anybody know it? Okay, good. All right, you're going to learn. You're going to learn today. <laughs> it's all on there, too. If you click mission on the about tab, the first thing is knowing. Let me just walk you through this. As far as our church, remember, this is church life, our family relationship. This message is a tone setter. I want this to mean something to you. The way I envision this when I started the church is, like, if we could all pursue Jesus, how do we say that? Simply, that's right. If we could pursue him in knowing him, Paul put it this way, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. That word know is gnosko. It means to experience. It's not just a cerebral, I know who God is. It's, it's in here. I know I experience God. Number one, our mission statement as a church is knowing who Jesus is. From that place, when we study the Bible to know him a person, 
I believe that if you have an encounter with who Jesus is, you will want to serve him. You will be like, oh my goodness. Everything that I said earlier in the sermon, he gave his blood, he gave his life. Paul, the apostles, like there's been so much put into this. It's it's just reasonable. I'm not doing good. I'm not trying to earn my salvation. My salvation was given to me. And now that I realize what God has done, I want to give what? Back. I want to serve. If we can focus on knowing Jesus and, and getting to know him, that's going to lead to a serving church. Knowing, serving Jesus. And number three, the sustainability of a church is a church's prayer life. Paul, at every letter beginning and end, was filled with prayer. Praying for each other. We know who the Lord is. We start serving the Lord and praying in community with others. That's what makes a good church, in my opinion, in my humble opinion. And it could be 10 other things, but I think we start with knowing Jesus, serving him, and praying in a community with each other. Do you see that? How many see how that could make a a good selfless, humble church. Does that sound like something you want to be a part of? But here's the thing. Let's take the first one. Does anybody know what this is? What kind of cookie? Yes, it is. (laughs) These are milk chocolate morsels. (laughs) What a fun name, morsel. These are milk chocolate morsels. What's better, the milk chocolate morsels or the chocolate chip cookie? Y'all had to think about that one. I get it. I get it. That's a a tough decision. (laughs) I think the cookie's better. Let's say this is knowing. I've seen so many people, and and look, I'm not picking on you. Yeah, I am picking on you. (laughs) Those folks that read their Bible, I I know everything about the Bible. You know what I'm saying? And, And they are. They're smart. But they're not involved in a church community. Scripture says knowledge puffeth up. If you don't do the knowing piece inside a church community, if you're not growing your knowledge to actually serve someone else, what good is what you know about the Bible? It's nothing. It's an ingredient that's on its own. What I'm saying to you is it takes all of those ingredients collectively. Knowing Jesus. Have you ever seen anybody that just, they're just serving that, you know, they're just really helpful people. I just, do, I just do a lot of good things. Just ask me and I'll tell you. My, my Facebook is filled with the last 10 really good things that I've done. I'm really good at serving others. But when it comes to actually serving in a church community, they absolutely don't play nice with other people. I mean, we've all experienced it. Yay, we have names in our mind right now. <laughs> of who those people are. (laughs) Come ask me, I'll tell you. (laughs) For a fee. No, I'm kidding. Serving. I'm just, I'm just, I'm the most giving person you know. (laughs) No. Serving. Once again, serving is a great thing. Helping people is a great thing. But the Lord has designed serving in a church community which enables us to live gospel-centered lives. Look, I'm trying to get you to see this. Like all the good things that you do in your community is great. But if we really understand Jesus' mission, we're not outliers. We're not outgoing and doing really good things that are separated from what the church mission is. Well, you just think everything should happen through the church because you're the pastor. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, not really. My point is, is I see the filters correctly as it pertains to Scripture. The Lord gave us the church to serve in because the church is the vehicle that he's using to reach the lost with the gospel. Do you see it? It's the only organization that I know of that calls everyone to serving each other, even when they're people you don't like. The last one, what is this, flour? Anybody want to come up here and get a mouthful? Uh-uh. I pray all the time. Oh, okay. I just, I'm such a prayer warrior. <laughs> I pray for my food, you know, pray for my kids. My point, once again, is that there's something about bearing each other's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ. There's something about having a prayer life that includes other people, that includes a mission. It brings life to your prayer time. When you know you're, and we're gonna do this today with Nicole. When you know that you're praying for someone else's life that you're doing community with, it doesn't hold a candle to your little prayers that you do on your own. Do you understand what I'm saying? Why? Because if I know the Lord, if I'm trying to pray for something specific or if I'm trying to serve and I can't do it on my own, I know it takes what? Everything. You put it all together. And this is the moment I've been waiting for. <laughs> what, a great, what a great cookie. Here's the thing. Stay with me. People do good things. They really do. People are resilient. They're awesome. But God is not trying to s showcase superstars. God wants us all to put our gifts and our abilities, all of our ingredients in, and he wants the product to be something that he controls. It's the church. It's his message. It's his mission. All of you have a place. <laughs> I probably told this joke. I don't think I told it in this service. We were joking last night, that worship song, send me. Amen. Everything's okay, but we're having fun. All right. You all right? Okay, I think we're good. We were singing that song last night. Send me, send me, I'll go anywhere. Except the nursery. <laughs> we are singing it last night. <laughs> Whatever it is, I'll do it, Lord. Let him control the outcome. Some of you guys, when it pertains to this church life and your family relationship, you're not involved. You're like a distant uncle at best. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're the cousin nobody's seen in 20 years. Let's have a family reunion. Let's feel what the church is supposed to feel like. You understand what heaven's going to be like? When everybody sets down their differences and they understand that they're there because of Jesus and Jesus alone. You have gifts and abilities, but it's not about those gifts and abilities. It's about you putting those gifts and abilities in the same bowl with everybody else and letting the outcome be the Lord's. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is week one of church life. Our church family, look, this is important to the Lord. It's very important. And I think at times we've taken it for granted. Wouldn't you agree? 
Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week and God bless.